Well, if you would, take your Bibles and turn this morning to Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, and the title of the message this morning is The Hope That We Have. Um, I don't know about you, but I am encouraged when I read God's Word and find out that we have hope. Um, I look around in this world that we're living in, and I'm like, man, hope has gone out the window. Because common sense has gone out the window, and, and murders are up, and crimes are up, and all kinds of things are going crazy, and well, now we just don't have a pandemic. Now we got a new variant, the Delta, and now there's a new one, Lambda or something else. I can't remember. Someone told me about this morning. And now you need vaccines on top of vaccines and boosters on top. I, where does it all stop? I feel like hope has just kind of gone to the side, right? Anyone else feel that way a little bit? Just about the world that we live in? All, all three of you? Um, so that's good. Um, I just feel like, man, I read God's Word, and I'm like, this is where I find my hope. Because I know that no matter what happens in this world that we're living in, it's all temporary. It's just for a little while and it's gone, right? Because Philippians tells us that our citizenship is in heaven, not here on this earth. So we're just here for a little while. So whether you live five years or 50 years or 105 years, you're still just a little on a timeline of eternity. So we just have this little bleep called life that we're here and then we're gone, right? We're so thankful for that. And it seems like this life never ends. It seems like we just go from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. But trust me, God's Word is so clear. And I was just thinking about this this week. God's Word compares to our life to a vapor, James 4. Exodus tells, tells us our life is but like a shadow. Psalms talks about our life being like a, uh, a shadow and dust, that, or I mean a smoke that goes up and vanishes. First Peter tells us our life is like grass that turns green and the flowers that bloom and then they're gone. And no matter how, what analogy you look at, our life is temporary here on this earth. But one thing is certain is that we have hope based on God's Word. And I'm thankful for that hope. So as I began to read in verse 8 in our text, um, you know, this, this word just stands out to me. Um, so let me go ahead and read these verses, uh, verses 8 through 14, and then we'll pray and get into the message this morning. Verse 8 says, Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Lord God, we thank you for the opportunity to be here today. Lord, we thank you for the fact that, Lord, we do have hope. And that, Lord, even though in this life there are struggles, and Lord, they're all around us, and there's frustrations and things that we would not choose, things that, Lord, we don't appreciate, but yet, God, we know you're in control of it all. And Lord, we thank you for the one thing that is certain, Lord, and that is our hope in you, Lord. And I pray, God, that you would speak to our hearts this morning concerning this hope that we have and what those that have this hope do. And Lord, we pray you speak to our hearts, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You know, as I looked at this thing, not only is there just a, to me, a, just a theme of hope in verse 8 that kicks off this text of Scripture, but there's also a huge two-letter word that's going to come up in several of the passages we're going to look at this morning. And right away in verse 8, it says, Now if. If. If is one of the biggest two-letter words in all of our American language dictionary. You know, it has eternal considerations. If. If we have died with Christ. Well, what does that even mean? If we have died. See, if can be several different things. You know, if I had gotten up early, I wouldn't have been late to work. If I had gone to college 20 years ago, I might not be in this situation. If. And we can always look in our past and look in our present and say, if this happened or if that happened. And we know that if has eternal considerations. But the greatest consideration that the word if has is this. If you have been risen with Christ, or died with Christ, and then have been risen with Christ. If. You see, if you know Jesus Christ, you'll spend eternity in heaven. If you don't, you'll spend eternity in hell. Huge consequences, right? That word if is just like a huge thought there. A huge consideration. If we have 
come to the place where we have died to self, it says here in verse 8. So let me read it one more time. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him. What does it mean to you? I mean, what, have you ever even thought about that? How often do we wake up in the morning and say, hey, I need to die to self today? What does that even mean? I mean, most of us don't even think about that. We go about our day, and we do whatever it is that we do, and we, we wake up, and we talk to people, and we go to work, and we do this. But do we ever think about what it means to be dead to Christ, or dead to self and alive to Christ? Do we even think about that? Three things came to my mind about dead people. See, number one, dead people can make no decisions. <laughs> you say, well, that's pretty obvious, right? They're gone. The bottom line is dead people make no decisions. None. I mean, can you believe that? I mean, when they're dead and in the ground, they can make no more decisions. How many knew that? Okay, three of you. No more decision-making. Bottom line is they, they, it's not even a thought anymore. Dead people make no decisions. See, well, he, he's giving us the, you know, the grasp of the obvious, right? Number two, dead people have no agendas. They're not planning their calendars anymore. I mean, they're not like, okay, next week, September 14th, I'm going to... No, they're dead. They're gone. No more agendas. Number three, dead people have no cares for comfort or the things of this world. Do you realize that they don't care that they're in a wooden box inside of a cement barrier and six foot under? They don't care. No more cares for the comforts of this life and the cares of this world. Because they're dead. <laughs> wow, Pastor, you're giving us the obvious. Right. But you know, Jesus Christ kind of makes the same analogy in all those areas for us who are alive. If we could say it this way, dead men walking. Right? One who has died with Christ realizes that they are dead to the things of this world. There's nothing in this world worth holding on to. Nothing. The reality is when we died with Christ, the old man, we've, we've said it a hundred times when we illustrate this with baptism. The reality is, he said, it's, it's, a, it's a picture, right? We, we are identifying with Christ in the water. We go under the water, just signifying his death. Christ didn't stay in the ground, he came up out. The old man is crucified, and he says, you know, that's how he said, when we buried in the likeness of his death, raised in the likeness of his resurrection. The reality is, the old man is crucified, he's put to death, he's no longer reigning in us. We are new creations in Christ. That's why he says, as believers, we are dead to our own decisions. See, life is no longer about what pleases me. How many know that? Life is not about what I want out of it, or what I think I can get out of it. It's not about what I want to do. That's why we say, if the Lord wills, we're going to do this or that. But the bottom line is, we are funneling everything that we are, everything that we do, through the, through the purposes that God has for us. We are dead men walking. That's why Paul says, and I know this is all, I'm preaching to the choir here, but the reality is Galatians 2 says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. Yet not I, but Christ what? Lives in me. Paul is saying it's no longer about me and what I want, what I want to do. It's all about Jesus Christ. So that's why he says here, if we died with Christ, we believe that we also will live with Him. We have died to self. And he goes on to talk more about this. But all these things that are true of dead people are still true of us who are dead to self and alive in Christ. We are no longer about making our own decisions. We are no longer about having our own agendas. We are no longer living for the cares and the comforts of this world. Why? Because 1 John 2 tells us that everything in this world, not some things, everything for all that is in this world, the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of the life. is not of the Father, but is of this world. And what does he say then in verse 17? That everything that is in this world is going to what? Pass away. Take it one step further. First Corinthians reminds us, he says, everything in this world is going to be tried by what? Fire. What is going to stand the test of time? We've said it for a thousand times. Two things will stand the test of eternity. The souls of men and the Word of God. That's it. Everything else is going to pass. 
And if we're worried about building up our kingdoms in this world rather than the kingdom to come, well, our focus is just wrong. So dead people make no decisions. Why? Because we are all saying, Lord, what is your will for my life? I have no agenda. God, what is it that you want me to do with my life? Lord, the cares of this world, Lord, what is it that you have me to go through to please you, to live for you, to honor you, to live righteously for you? We are dead men walking, so to speak. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 24 says this, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. You notice, <laughs> those who belong to Christ, if we are truly children of God, if we are truly part of the family of God, he says you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Let's ask this question. It's kind of just a self-test. What is it that I live for? What are my passions? What are my desires that would please me? Is that what I'm living for? If that is what I'm living for, it might be a sign that I'm not really part of God's family. Because if you're part of the family, you will have crucified those things. So we're not living for the passions and the desires. Once again, dead people have no cares for the comfort of things of this world. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 19 through 22. It says, And they, having become callous, have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. But you did not learn Christ in this way. Here it is again, verse 21. If indeed. Isn't that amazing? If indeed. Once again, a two-letter word that has great eternal considerations. If indeed you heard Him and were taught in Him, just as truth is in Jesus, to lay aside in reference to your former conduct the old man which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. So he says, you have not learned this of Jesus Christ. If these are things are characteristic of your life, he said, you did not learn that from Jesus. So once again, it's a kind of a self-test. If this is what characterizes my life, if this is what is what is representative of me, I may not know Jesus. Folks, there has to be a difference in my life knowing Jesus versus not knowing Jesus. So it blows my mind sometimes how we want to be just like the world in every aspect, in every way, every shape, every form. We want to be just like them because that's how we're going to reach them. And there's no difference between us. At what point are we different? Because he says you are a peculiar people. You're a chosen generation. There is something different that we have and that we possess in how we live our life versus the world who does not know Jesus. And if we're no different than them, why would they want what we've got if we got it? There has to be a difference. There's a difference between living in the world but not being part of the world. We should have friends that are not saved. We should have friends that don't know Jesus because we're investing, we're planting seeds, we're saying, hey, well, let me introduce you, let me tell you a story of how God changed my life. We should have those acquaintances, we should have those friends. But the reality is, we shouldn't be identical because we know Jesus and we have a different set of desires. He says, to lay aside, in a reference to your former conduct, the old man, which is corrupt. The old man is corrupt. We shouldn't want that for ourselves. In, in Colossians chapter 1, I'll read just a few verses here. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, chapter 1. Or, I'm sorry, chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. He says this, Therefore, and here it is again, if, Therefore, if, if you have been raised with, up with Christ, keep seeking the things above which, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Let's stop right there just for a minute. He says, if you're a child of God, if you are with Christ, once again, dead people make no decisions. Why? Because we've been raised with Christ. He now works through us. Dead people have no agendas. Dead people have no cares for the comfort or the things of this world. Why? Because we're dead to those things. But we're alive to Christ. If you have been raised with Christ, keep seeking the things above. So we're not to be seeking the things of this world. I'm just telling you, does anyone else struggle with not seeking the things of this world? Anyone else? Y'all got this mastered or something? I don't. So I'm telling you, if I was a multi-gazillionaire, I'd still drive a pickup. A nice one. 
You can have your Bentleys and Rolls Royces and Mercedes and Teslas and whatever else. I want a pickup truck, a nice one. I want things. I don't care about much else. I mean, if money were no object, I'd take 50 acres in the woods. That'd be cool. But what do we really seek for in this world? Security? Comfort? I mean, I struggle with this. I'm just being honest. Two hands and a foot. I struggle with it because I look around and say, man, I want this and I want this and I want this and I want it yesterday. Man, and I see everything that's going on. It's like, I just said to somebody Friday night, I said, I wish, and I got honest truth, I wish I could take this church, every last doggone one of you, and move it out in the middle of nowhere, Montana. Or Idaho. I don't care. Somewhere where all this New York political nonsense garbage doesn't affect us. I just want to get away from it all, right? Because it irritates me, it frustrates me. I don't want my focus on that stuff. I wish I could just like transplant every last one of you and everybody that's important to you and start over somewhere else in a big compound. Now that sounds crazy. <laughs> but does anyone else get frustrated with what's going on in the politics of New York? I don't want to hear about it. It frustrates me. I just want to get out of here. Don't laugh at me because you left. But the reality is, it's our focus, right? Because it's what we deal with every day. And he says, set your mind on things above, not on things above. How do we do that? It's like right here constantly bombarding us. So he says, verse 2, set your mind on things above, not on things that are on the earth. For you died and your life has been hidden with Christ in God. Why? If we're dead to the things of this world... The things of the world shouldn't have an effect on us. You see, a guy who's dead and in the grave, six foot under, doesn't care about what's taking place in Albany. Right? Because he's dead to those things. See, a guy who's dead six foot under doesn't care whether or not somebody cheated him at work. He's dead, he's gone. It really becomes a test of where our focus is. He says, for you, are, you died and your life has been hidden with Christ and God. You're dead to the things of this world. You're a dead man walking, alive in Christ. Verse 4 says, when Christ, who is our life, is manifested, then you also will be manifested with Him in glory. Doesn't that sound just like Romans 6, verse 8? If I've died with Him, I'm going to live with Him. That's what he says. And now he's saying it again in verse Four or five. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. Verse seven. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them. What's he saying here? These things should not be a part of your life any longer. Now that you've died to self, and the old man has been crucified, and you've been risen with Christ, and are alive in Him. There's a difference in how we live once we know Jesus. So he makes it very clear here. Back in our text here in Romans chapter 6, and verse 9 now. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again, death no longer is master over him. Faith in Jesus Christ assures us that one day we will spend eternity in heaven with him, but not only in heaven, but here on earth as well. We have Jesus Christ with us. And we not only have the hope of eternity with Jesus Christ one day, but we have fellowship with Him now through His resurrection. How do I know that? Philippians chapter 3, verses 10 and 11. It says that I may know Him and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. We have fellowship with Him. In fact, that's the only way we can truly crucify the old man and walk in newness of life, right? He said, if any man be in Christ, he's what? New creation. Old things have passed away, all things become new. The only way you can do that is through fellowship with Jesus Christ. That's it. I'm just telling you, every year, come January, you're going to do what? Make New Year's resolutions, right? I'm going to lose 35 pounds. I'm going to start going to the gym. I'm going to start conserving. Use more coupons this year. Whatever it is. Fill in the blank. How long does that last? 
yeah, if you're lucky, a couple days, three days, a week, two weeks. Those of you are super incredibly disciplined a month. Right. Because in and of ourselves, our willpower is not enough to do what we need to do. It's so few and it's so rare and it's so infrequent that someone actually has the willpower to carry out a major goal. It's no different in our walk with the Lord. It really is. It takes Jesus Christ and fellowship with the Spirit to make it happen. I believe it's why he says that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. Because when we crucify the old man and we raise up a newness of life, we now have a resurrection, resurrected body like him, so to speak, being conformed to his death that in order I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. He goes, this is a new, new thing here. We have fellowship with the Father. And fellowship through his sufferings. But here's the beautiful aspect of God's plan. He died once and for all, never to have to die again. Isn't that awesome? Um, I was reading a story this week in um, Tony Evans' commentary on the Bible. And when he was talking about this whole idea of never dying again, he tells a story of what took place in, during the Civil War. And one of the things that took place during the Civil War, if a man was drafted, he could actually pay someone else to take his place and go into battle. So he tells the story of this one specific person who he paid to go to battle for him. And as he went into battle, he lost his life. He died. And those who were in charge of the draft came back to him and said, we need you to go back into battle. And he said, well, wait a minute. Uh, I paid somebody to do that for me. He goes, yeah, but he died, and he went, and you are stead, so you are still alive. You need to go. He goes, well, why can't I pay someone else? He goes, because you can only have one death representative of your life. And they would not let him hire another person. The limit was one. See, when Jesus Christ died, he was the only one. No other death is necessary. No other death could, death could accomplish what he accomplished. He paid the price. He gave his life. He shed his blood. Because he rose again, he says, death has no more power over him. What are you going to do? Kill him again? No, it doesn't work. He's already overcome death. I love that. Knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Think about this. Jesus Christ died so long ago. And the death is for not only for those who were there when he died, but for everyone for years and years and years and years and years to come. He paid the price for all mankind for all time. He paid the price. Someone once said, be born twice and die once. Or be born once and die twice. You say, well, what does that mean? It's pretty simple, really. You see, all of us are born physically, so there's our first birth. But if you know Jesus Christ, there's your second birth. And if you have two births, you will only have one death. But if you only have one birth, you'll die twice. Because you'll have a physical death, and as it says in Romans 6.23, an eternal spiritual death. So it's our choice. Be born once and die twice, or be born twice and die once. He goes on to say, verse 11, Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Do we consider ourselves to be dead to sin? See, a dead man can't get involved in pornography. Not going to happen. No social media, no TV, no magazines, no nothing. He's dead. A dead man can't drink too much alcohol and become an alcoholic and die of that. He's not going to get involved in meth or cocaine or any other drugs. He's dead. Not going to affect him. A dead man can't yell and scream and get angry. 
at his kids or spouse or wife or whatever. Dead man can't steal, can't lie, can't cheat, can't murder. He's dead. Think about this. He says, consider yourself dead to sin. What does that mean? It means that when we're tempted to sin, we're dead to that. I'm not going to do it. I'm considering myself dead to that. I'm not, I'm not doing it. What does God's Word tell us in 1 Corinthians 10? There is no temptation taking you, but such as is what? Common to man. But with that temptation, there is a what? Way of escape. You know what I found when most times when I'm tempted to do wrong? You know what the way of escape is? Simply saying, no, not going to do it. Made up my mind. It's not going to have dominion over me. It's not going to happen. I'm turning my back on it. It's not going to take place. I'm considering myself dead to sin. And with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to try to be holy and righteous in all my actions. Because I'm considering myself dead to the sin. The old man was crucified. I'm not going to let that man live and reign and, and have existence in me. Not going to happen. I'll just tell you this, though. If you don't make up your mind, it will take place, though. You see, a plan not to sin is a plan to sin. Because if you don't put safety, safety nets up and guard, guard, guard posts and guide rails, you will fail. Years ago, <clears throat> I heard the, read the story of a guy who was in Colorado, I believe it was. And I've shared this before, but there's a guardrail, and he was taking pictures. And, of course, you know the best pictures are on the other side of the guardrail. I mean, the guardrail is just a, it's a suggestion, not a, you know, rule. He crawled over it and started leaning out trying to get a better picture, a different angle, whatever. And as he did that, a gust of wind came and took his hat. What is the natural reaction if the wind takes your hat? You're going to reach out for it. He reached out for it to his death. Question. If he would have stayed on the other side of the guardrail and the same gust of wind came and took the same hat and he would have reached out for it, where would he still be? On this side of the guardrail. You see, those of us that know Jesus Christ, we have guardrails. God's Word tells us in Psalms, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not what? Sin. Are we willing to make ourselves dead to sin? As he says here, consider yourself dead to sin. Or do we kind of flirt with it and say, well, hey, it's not going to affect me and kind of step over the guardrail just a little bit. Just a little bit. I mean... If I can get just a little bit further out there, I can take a better picture. If I get just a little bit out there, I mean, I'm not, I mean, I'm not giving it all the way. I mean, I'm not, I know I'm not totally avoiding the appearance of evil, and I know I'm not abstaining from every aspect of sin, but, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good. I'm, not, I'm mostly there. Years ago, I read an illustration about a, a fellow who was all excited because he said, I made brownies for everybody in the youth group. And as the... Uh, got done speaking. He said, hey, by the way, I got, I got some of these brownies, and I put these, put these brownies out on the table, and he said, hey, guys, I, I made these brownies. I made them all by myself. You guys are going to love them. By the way, I went out in the yard, took a little bit of poo, and I mixed it in there, but it's all the same color, I, and there's just a little bit. Not, there's not that much in there. Go ahead. It's just a little bit, but I made them for you. True story. Question. How many of you are going to get in line to eat those brownies? Come on, it's just a little bit. I mean, for the most part, it's not that much. I mean, it's just one little bit in the whole batter. What's, what's a little bit going to hurt? He said, come on, Pastor, really? Really? I mean, just a little bit. I mean, I'm, I'm, I mean, I could probably may even make an assumption that, hey, at 400 degrees, it'd probably you know, burn off any germs, right? I mean, you could make that assumption, maybe. Anybody still want to try it? Just a little bit. I mean, they're blended right in. You can't even tell the difference. They're brownies, right? But I wonder how often in our lives we kind of justify sin in the same way. It's just a little bit. A little bit ain't going to hurt. Or do we say, I'm dead to that. And with God's help and the help of the Holy Spirit every day, we're going to say no to this. He goes on in these last couple of verses here. He says, therefore, verse 12, 
Do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting your members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. God's Word is kind of unique. It calls our body limbs instruments. Your hands, your feet, your eyes, your ears. He calls them instruments. And he says, don't use your instruments as tools of unrighteousness, but use them as tools for righteousness. How do we do that? We offer our complete self to God. God, you have my life. And whatever I have, these hands, these feet, these eyes, this brain, these instruments are yours. And apart from that, you can't die to self. Because as long as I'm holding on to my brain and my thoughts and my secret little world and my private moments and everything else, you're still giving in to the old man, the old, the old life. Verse 13 says, And do not go on presenting your members, as, members to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. Dead men walking alive in Christ. For sin shall not be master over you, for you are under the law, but under grace. Now, I want to close with this question. What is a master? In your mind, what is a master? A master is somebody who has control over another. As believers, the Lord, and remember there's a couple different Greek words for the word Lord, but the word kurios means master, means I have surrendered everything to my master. So he's our master. But here he says, for sin shall not be master over you. In other words, we should not so give in to sin that it becomes our master. You see, a person who is addicted to cocaine or methamphetamines or whatever else it is, or the person who's an alcoholic and can't go a day without it, or the person who just constantly is looking online at pornography. Never once does a person start out and say, oh, I think I'll just have this little peek and eh, I can control this. Or the person who's addicted to cocaine, hey, one little sniff, I got this, I can control this. They don't set out to be addicted, do they? Nobody does. Everyone has the idea that, hey, I'm in charge, I can control this, I can do this. I can manipulate how much I give into and how much I don't give into. Right. Because we're all just that strong. No. It becomes master because they've given in and have obeyed it. He says, don't let sin become your master. How do we do that? Once again, with the help of the Holy Spirit saying no. There's no temptation taking you but such as common to man, but we're with that temptation. He will make a way of escape. Are we willing to say no to these things that would have dominion over us? He says, don't let sin reign in your earthly, your mortal bodies. I don't know about you, but when I read through these things, once again, there's hope, starting with verse 8. If I've been crucified with my old flesh, my old man, and I've put that old man to death, and it's crucified because as Christ was crucified, I've crucified myself with him, and I've lied to Christ, I have hope. I'm looking forward to heaven. Right now I enjoy the earthly fellowship with my Savior. But as I'm walking in this hope, I'm a dead man walking. Dead to the self, dead to the flesh, alive to Christ, alive under the hope that we have. I don't know about you, but that, that's a struggle some days. And the only way we can do it is through that fellowship with the Holy Spirit, daily submitting to Him. I don't know about you, but it's a choice. And I want to choose to do what's right with the help of the Holy Spirit. Amen? Lord, I ask God that You would speak to all of our hearts this morning. Lord, help us to realize that we are dead men walking, alive in Christ. The oxymoron, dead yet alive. Dead to self, alive to Christ. And God, I pray that you'd help us 
to live with that type of fellowship going on every day. Because, Lord, with the help of your Holy Spirit, we can do this. Apart from that, Lord, we will fail. So, Lord, I pray for those of us that have hope, that we've crucified, been crucified with Christ yet alive. Lord, if we have that hope, Lord, that we live in that hope. So, Lord, speak to our hearts as only you can. As heads are bowed and eyes are closed, and every week we have an opportunity to respond to the things that we've heard. I don't know about you, but have you ever considered yourself a dead man walking alive to Christ? If not, that's where it starts. Do you know Jesus? Do you know him? Pastor Ken, if I'm honest with myself this morning, I'm not sure that I do. Can I pray for you? Anyone like that this morning, just with an uplifted hand or just look, make eye contact with me? I would love nothing more than to pray with you. That you may know that you have Jesus Christ living within you. Do you know him? The second question then is this. Are you living as a dead man alive in Christ? Are you saying no to the things of the flesh? No to the things that were characteristic of the old man? Are you walking in Jesus Christ? Say, Pastor Ken, if I'm honest with myself this morning, and God knows my heart, there's some things that need to be crucified. There's some things in my flesh that need to go away. Some things that I need to say no to that are sinful have become master over me. There's some things that need to change. Would you pray for me? Anyone like that this morning? Yes, yes, yes. The sides, the back. Can I just challenge you, just for a moment, just as we're sitting here, just to take that moment and say, Lord, forgive me. I repent of this sin. I repent of allowing this circumstance to become my master. Help me to live in the Spirit. God, forgive me of this sinfulness. Just take a moment and pray. And God's Word is so true. He says, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I'm so thankful for the work of the Holy Spirit for the work that Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, that we might walk in holiness and righteousness. Lord God, you know our hearts. You've seen many hands and hearts this morning. Lord, those who have knowledge that some things need to change, and Lord, I pray that with the help of the Holy Spirit, Lord, they, they'll gain victory to live, Lord, as a dead man alive in Christ, dead to the things of the world, alive to the things of Christ. Our mindset on the things above, not on the things of this world. So God, I pray you be with each one who raised their hand, their heart towards you this morning. Allow them to see victory, Lord, through your Holy Spirit's work. And God, I pray you help us all draw closer to you, Lord, that we can continue to walk in victory. And we'll praise you for it. For it's in Jesus' name we do pray. Amen. Well, just for a moment, as we do once a month, we typically do it the first Sunday of every month, but this week we're doing it the second Sunday. Um, we are going to take a, just a moment to observe the Lord's table. Um, if you did not get a communion cup, would you raise your hand? And I'm going to ask uh, uh, somebody in the back. Jim. There you go. Jim will do it. Jim will grab a few more. Just keep your hands up there just for a moment. And uh, Jim is coming back uh, with, with those in just a second here. But as he's getting those, 1 Corinthians chapter 11... Is where we're going to be just for a moment this morning. Just a moment there. He's grabbing them from the back there. Go ahead and raise your hand. He's here now. So, yeah, just a couple here. There's one over on this side. Cool. Thank you. A couple more on this side over here. So 1 Corinthians chapter 11, let me just say before we even get into looking at this, um, so cool. If you know Jesus Christ, we've been saying this for several weeks now, you have a what? Come on. Story. You have a testimony of what God has done in your life. He's given you a story. But he doesn't just give you a story to say, well, hey, this is your story. Write it down and never, never mention it again. How many of you have a favorite book? Anybody? Come on. All three of you? That's it? Okay. How many have a favorite movie? 
There we go. Man from Snowy River. I bet I've seen it 25 times. It's the best movie ever created. Love that scene. I'll be back for the horses and for whatever else is mine. I love it. I love that movie. But you know, I love it because I've watched it so many times. It kind of like, if you're a man, it's kind of like the adventure side that is never probably going to come up. It just sounds cool. Um, can you imagine being like him running down the side of a cliff like this in a horse? You put yourself in the picture, and you, you know it's never going to happen, but it sounds cool. <laughs> right? It's familiar. We come back to it over and over, and it brings joy. And it makes you excited all over again. It, it stirs up emotions. He says, that's what this is all about. Only better. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, I want to begin reading verse 23. It says, For I received from the Lord that which also I delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, in the night in which he was being betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. Therefore, he, whoever, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But a man must test himself, and in so doing, he is to eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks, eats and drinks judgment to himself if he does not judge the body rightly. For this reason, many among you are weak and sick, and, no, and a number sleep. But if we judge ourselves rightly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are disciplined by the Lord, so that we will not be condemned with, along with the world. When I think about this, it really a lot of it comes down to verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the death of the Lord until he comes. It's truly a time of celebration. It's a time of remembrance. And every time we remember it, just like your favorite movie, just like your favorite book, just, just like being around your favorite people, it stirs up emotions within you. And when we think about this, it stirs up the emotion of what Jesus Christ did in our lives, right? It stirs up the emotions of, man, He actually loved me, John 3.16, Romans 5.8, he loved me enough to send his son to die on a cross so that I could be saved. If that doesn't excite you, I don't know what will. It brings up emotions. I remember every time I think about this and my salvation decision and the story that God gave me, every time I think about this, I, my mind goes back to that man who came to, came to my church Sunday school class and told the story of the crucifixion. And now every time he stepped behind that board and he was doing something, and I want to know what he was doing, and finally, at the end of the story, he turns it around and he had drawn a Roman soldier, representative of the one who nailed Jesus to the cross. And I remember as a little kid, just, just a little kid, remember that I'm a sinner and that Christ died on the cross for my sins and I need to put my faith in Him. Every time I come to communion, it's a time to look back that Jesus saved me. It's an opportunity to remember. And it stirs up those, those emotions within you to say, Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for shedding your blood so that I have forgiveness of sins. Thank you, God, for not staying in the grave. Thank you for rising again. It's a time to remember. That's what it says in verse 26. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you're proclaiming the death of the Lord until He comes. We're remembering it and proclaiming that He's still alive and He's still offering salvation to all until He comes back for us one day. I want you to think just for a moment, as we go to the Lord in prayer just in a moment, who did God use in your life to show you the need of salvation? What were the circumstances that God used in your life to point out your need to put your faith and trust in Him? And just thank God for it. And then to thank Jesus for dying on the cross for what, because He paid the price He didn't, uh, the price of our sin debt because we couldn't do it. We could not do it. So let's just take a moment and pray and thank the Lord. So 
I'll, I'll give you about 30 seconds of silence, and then I'll pray the Lord's blessing on the, on the bread. Lord Jesus, as we come before you, Lord, we thank you for going to the cross of Calvary. We thank you for your willingness to lay down your life, to pay a sin debt that you did not owe because we had a sin debt we could not pay, as someone once said. Lord, we are unworthy yet made worthy through the blood. Undeserving but yet graciously offered mercy and grace. Thank you for giving your life. Thank you for the willingness to lay your body down, to leave the splendor of heaven, to take on the limitations of the flesh, to come to this earth so that we might be offered salvation. And Lord, for this bread that represents your broken body, God, we say thank you. And we ask, God, that you would continuously remind us of your gift to us. And Lord, may we in response, Lord, graciously walk in obedience and humility and and righteousness and holiness while we are on this earth. So Lord, thank you for doing for us, Lord, what we could not do for ourselves. And we praise you, Lord, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And verse 24 says, And when he had given thanks, he broke and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. verse 25 it says and in the same way in other words it took a moment and blessed the bread and asked God to bless it it represented his broken body but then they took a moment with the juice and thanked him again for the juice that represented his blood that was spilled Chad would you offer a word of thanks for the cup representing the Lord's blood that was shed Verse 26 says, or verse 25, in the same way he took the cup. So this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. May we never forget or take for granted what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross. Often when we go about our day and we realize that we've done something wrong, that we've sinned, what he's talking about. We just be mindful of the fact that Jesus Christ shed his blood for that sin. And Lord, forgive me. Take a moment and pray. Take, take a moment and say, God, thank you for your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness, your patience, long-suffering, all these things that God gives us each and every day, right? Let's all stand as we have a closing song, and uh, then we'll have a couple of announcements, and then we'll be dismissed.
Before we are dismissed, uh, just uh, say a couple words. Number one, welcome Demita. For those of you that know her, make sure you get a chance to give her a hug and say hi. She brought three with her. Uh, Andrew. Um, no, Eli. I, I said don't. I, it was right there. It was right there. Just kidding. I would have forgot. Eli. And the one that's uh, yet, to, yet to be named that is uh, on the way. So, uh, hey, First starts at conception, right? So she's got three on the way here. So um, thank you for coming and being with us today, and uh, make sure you say hi to her. And then today is also Sonny's last day with us. I don't know about this. This is going to be rough. I told her she's going to be bawling and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. No. She leaves Wednesday for UC Davis out in California, and uh, we're going to miss her very much. So be praying for her as she leaves. And I will miss her. Oliver, we won't miss him. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, we will miss Sunny. No, I'm just kidding. We'll miss them both. But at any rate, pray for her as she goes. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for how you work in our lives. And Lord, just pray for um, these things that we've read about today, these things that we've been reminded of, Lord, that we would practice them this week. Pray, God, that you'll be glorified in all that is said and done. And Lord, be with these kids as they go away to school. I'll pray your hedge of protection about them, Lord. And Lord, I just pray that you continually draw them to yourself, Lord. And they see their need for you each and every day. So, Lord, we just ask you to be with Demita's safety as she travels home again tomorrow, Lord. As I just think for the time we got to visit with her. And Lord, for the, the week that we had, Lord. Thank you for how you work in lives, Lord. Lord, uh, ten people coming to know you. And I pray, God, that you would just work in their hearts, Lord, to draw them closer to you, Lord, that they may, Lord, find a good church home that preaches the gospel, that they be encouraged to read your word and pray. But, Lord, I just pray for these ones that made a decision, Lord, might they continue to grow in you. And we ask your blessing upon this day, the remainder of it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Have a good afternoon. Mm-hmm.